Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, June 22nd, 2017, so we're talking about energy, materials, and industrials. I'm your host, Sean O'Reilly, and joining me in studio today is our special guest, Motley Fool contributing investor, Mr. Adam Levine Weinberg. How's it going today, Adam? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Not too shabby. Um, I'm glad to be inside out of this DC heat. Yes, absolutely. Another 93 degree day. Um, it's too I, much. It, I will never understand why the founders decided to build the capital in what was essentially a humid swamp, but there you go. Yep. Um, so today is a very special episode because we're going to be talking about all the different modes of transportation that keep commerce in the US economy humming. Um, that is right. We are talking about planes, trains, and automobiles. Sir? Hey. Sir? Sir? Excuse me. I know this is your cab, but I'm desperately late for a plane, and I was wondering if I could appeal to your good nature and ask you to let me have Now, if you love comedy movies, or at least Steve Martin and John Candy, you probably recognize that scene from the 80s film Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, where Steve Martin's character struggles to travel home via multiple transportation options for Thanksgiving with an obnoxious shower curtain ring salesman, played by John Candy. Uh, essentially, this is a comedy that uses a very real fact that there are a lot of ways to move goods and people as a comedic device. Um, so, Adam, transportation is a multi-trillion-dollar portion of the U.S. economy. Um, I would go out on a limb; and, uh, it probably wouldn't be a limb. But knowing what types of different transportation are most attractive is arguably vital for investors today. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, you actually had a really good idea. Let's break this down into two sections. Um, the first section being, um, you know, moving goods and services that are non-oil, and then oil. And the reason being, oil gets to use pipelines, and nobody else can. Right. Um, so, right off the gate, if I want to ship something across the country, how do I figure out what is the best mode of transportation to use? Yeah. So there are several factors that uh, are are important to making that decision. The main one is how fast you need your item to get where it's going, so speed. Uh, there's a big trade-off between speed and cost. Um, obviously, on the flip side, you have cost. How much does the, is the cost of shipping uh, as a percentage of the value of the good that you're shipping? So, Are you shipping something that you're going to sell for $10, or are you shipping something that you're going to sell for $1,000? And That obviously has an impact on how much can you afford to, to pay for shipping. Um, to to determine whether you needed to, you you want whether it's worth it to get it there fast or to take the slower route. Right. On top of that, you have size. Obviously, larger items um, are or bulky items, heavier items, uh, cost more to ship. Um, and so those are some of the the most important things that you need to take into account. Um, and this is definitely something that anybody who has gone to FedEx or the UPS store or the post office and said, "Oh, I need something in there tomorrow," and it's like thirty dollars to send yeah. an envelope, and it's because of the speed factor. Um, so, how do those factors that you just listed impact the cost to move something, and what are the best options for each? Yeah. So we'll start with speed. Obviously, if you need something to get there fast, then you need to use air. Um, air, especially if you're going a long distance. If you're going within a few hundred miles, then a uh, truck could get you there in, in one day. But if you're doing longer distances, uh, the trade-off is really between ship, rail, air, and air is going to be you know, several days or even weeks faster. So that's why uh, people will use that. Obviously, air shipments are extremely expensive. Um, so it, to a large extent, this also will depend on uh, how bulky the item is or how much you need to send it at, a, at one time. So, 
going back to your example with FedEx, if you're just sending an envelope, it will cost you maybe twenty or thirty dollars to get it there in a day. But it's only twenty or thirty dollars, and if it's it's something that really needs to be there, that's not the end of the world. If you're trying to ship a piano or something like that, you know that then you're going to be paying a lot more than than thirty dollars <laughs> to ship it by air. Why is that the option you came up with? <laughs> Just trying to come. If you're trying to ship heavy. an elephant, <laughs> um, so so that's so so you've got to start out. You you have this uh, this speed and size. So. If you uh, if you're trying to send a, a really small item, it can actually be be cheaper to send it by air than by ship, just because there's more handling involved in sending something by ship. Uh, so even though that would normally be uh, much much cheaper than air travel, it can actually be uh, more expensive because you know you, if it's containerized, you need to get it into a container boxed up with lots of other things. You need people to take it off, uh, split up the shipment again, and get it to the final destination. So in those sort of unusual cases, it can actually be air can actually be the cheapest as well as the fastest. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, um, you know, sending something by FedEx is going to cost a lot of money. Now, I should mention that there are cases um, where you can actually justify um, sending large volumes of goods by air. And so, one example that was uh, reported on pretty extensively a few years ago is why Apple uses air shipments uh, for its iPhones, especially around product launches. Um, it costs about a quarter of a million dollars, or at least it did back in 2013. It's probably a little less now because fuel prices have come down. But about a quarter million dollars to ship by air uh, a, a plane full of iPhones from I'm China. Picturing, I'm picturing this right now. From by the China way. <laughs> back to uh, Memphis, which is where FedEx has their big hub in the U.S. for uh, shipment to all the Apple stores and individual customers within the U.S. Now that's a lot of money, but you can fit four hundred fifty thousand iPhones onto this plane, so that's less than a dollar a phone. And if you're talking about making people wait an extra three weeks to send a ship from China to the U.S., then this is a no-brainer. You know, you're going to spend the extra that's, the extra dollar. Uh, and, sorry know, to interrupt. Uh, you said four hundred fifty thousand iPhones. Yeah. At eight hundred bucks a piece, that is three hundred and sixty million dollars worth of iPhones at a retail. Right, so, and, so, and so in that in that perspective, from in that context, two hundred fifty thousand dollars shipping costs. It, yeah. just, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So um, obviously, if I need to get I don't know super important contract to California today or tomorrow, plane automatically. Yeah. Um, what kind of so if it's it's less urgent, what sort of distances are we talking about for the efficiency of one option over another to take hold? Yeah, so uh, for transporting something by road on a truck, um, the cost is very it's linear and it goes up uh, almost one to one with the distance. So the cost of sending something by truck a thousand miles is about twice as much as sending it 500 miles. Um, by contrast for train and ship, there's uh, there's a lot more cost involved at the beginning and the end of getting something onto the train or onto the ship, and then getting it off of the train or the ship. And in most cases, you know, except in very specialized um, circumstances, everything is going through a terminal. And so at either end, you still need to have trucks to get something from the pickup point to the terminal, and then from the terminal to the drop-off point. So the result of that is that uh, for shorter distances. Um, 300 five to 500 miles or less, uh, truck is almost always the most efficient option. Okay. When you get uh, a little longer than that, um, in that sort of 1,000-mile range, that's when trains are really at, at their best. And um, 
ships, when you get past a thousand miles, can often be more efficient. But that also depends a lot on geography. So, if you're looking at the United States, it actually makes sense to send trains all the way across the country because to go by ship from New York to San Francisco, you have to go all the way down to the Panama Canal. You have to pay the canal fees, and it's just a, quite a ways out of the way.、Um, so, in that case. You can actually,、uh, you usually would want to send something, at least if it's on the smaller side, by train across the country rather than、uh, taking a container ship. Got it. Okay, so、um, three to five hundred miles for truck. That makes sense. Yeah.、Um, real quick, why do you think?、Um, so we last week's show I did with Taylor Markman was about tr- the the rail sector, railroads. Okay. And there's a reason Warren Buffett. Bought Burlington Northern.、Um, there's a reason that I mean, gosh, Bill Gates owns. I mean, got how big a chunk of Canadian、uh, Northern? I mean, it's like yeah, I think he has like twenty five percent of it or something.、Um, why do why are railroads cash cows the way they are? And you know, I, I pulled up the numbers for YRC Worldwide. It's Yellow Road. It's the trucking company.、Mm-hmm. We all see their trucks on there. In a good year, their returns on equity, and by good year I mean like last year,、uh, it's averaged ten point eight percent. In a bad year, I mean it dips to like one or two percent. They actually went bankrupt in the last、uh, five or ten years, I believe. A Chapter Eleven reorganization, not like a liquidation or anything. But、um, why are railroads such cash cows? And、uh, I mean, the shipping sector is replete with bankrupt, like reading、yeah. bankruptcies, everything. So what's what's the deal there? Honestly, it's really all about tracks、uh, because for for ships, the you need the the container ports, but、um, often anybody can get in there,、um, at least if it's not a really busy port,、uh, and so there's a lot of competition.、Um, and in the rail sector, because it costs because of the fixed costs of getting into the rail business, if you actually wanted to start a new railroad, building completely new tracks, it, it would be prohibitively expensive. The the land acquisition costs alone these days. Would be setting you back probably hundreds of billions of dollars to get、yeah. into major metro areas, so you basically can't enter. And as a result,、uh, you've got half a dozen companies really that control the vast majority of rail、uh, rail shipments in the in North America, or at least the U.S. and Canada. So that means there's there's just a, a limited amount of competition,、uh, and that gives companies the opportunity to to、uh, push prices up. And the biggest competition you have really is is from that would keep prices down is from truck and from ship and from air, but as we said, the air costs are a lot higher. The shipping is、uh, is very circuitous. If you're going, you know, even if you're just going from New York to San Francisco, it's circuitous. If you're trying to go to somewhere in the middle of the country, it's not even an option. And truck is also prohibitively expensive for these longer hauls. And so, as a result, in that thousand to two thousand mile range in the U.S. It's really just trains, and there's only a few companies that can do that for you, and so that gives them a lot of pricing power, allows them to make a lot of money. So、uh, railroads are a double threat. Then you've got lack of competition.、Um, in fact, I'd hasten to say that there's probably only just one or two railroads in a given city that even service it. I mean, yeah, there's basically two two、um, two railroads that do a lot of the north south, two railroads that do a lot of the east west、um, in the U.S., two railroads in Canada. There's yeah, there's not a lot of options. So all these markets are a duopoly, which is just you know. Draw、yeah. your own conclusions. Yeah,、um, and、uh, they're the only game in town if you're going from New York to Kansas or something. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So、uh, moving on here,、um, if yeah,、uh, you know, 
we, we, we talk about oil a lot here on this show for obvious reasons. Um, if I'm in the Permian Basin of West Texas or I'm up there in um, South Dakota and I strike oil, yay me, um, how am I, I going to get the oil to Houston? Yeah, so, so oil is um, definitely a very specialized market within shipping. Um, as you mentioned before, pipelines are an option, and that's something that's not uh, doesn't exist for most other goods Anything else for obvious reasons. So you have pipelines, you have trucks um, with tanker cars on them, you have uh, rail tanker cars, and then lastly you have ships. So if you're somewhere that's landlocked, like Permian Basin, then ship obviously is out. So you're left with pipeline, uh, road, and rail. Road, as as is the case for other shipments, um, it's the prices go up very significantly uh, as distance gets longer. And so even just going a few hundred miles could cost you about twenty dollars a barrel. And so when which is o- huge when when oil yeah. was at a, was over a hundred dollars a barrel, then that wasn't it was big, but it wasn't uh, so big that it never made sense. It, it usually didn't make sense, but it was still possible um, to make that work in some uh, specialized cases. Uh, today, you know, if the global market oil prices are forty-five dollars a barrel, then you you just can't pay twenty dollars a barrel. So you have to either get it onto rail or into a pipeline. Got it. Yeah. Now, go ahead. And what what I was going to say was that pipeline obviously depends on well where is the nearest pipeline, and so um, getting that pipeline infrastructure into the right places um, is very important. And so uh, rail has often, at least in the last five to ten years, it's tended to be the the sort of first option when uh, when you're just opening up a new area for drilling, uh, but once uh, a, a new find becomes big and is producing a lot of oil, then somebody's going to build a pipeline in there. At least try to build a pipeline in there because it's a lot cheaper. Right. Yeah. Um, that was the one uh, standout negative in uh, Burlington Northern's uh, results uh, that we saw, you know, last week when Taylor and I were talking mm-hmm. was. Uh, you know, Buffett bought Burlington Northern in uh, was it early two thousand nine? It was during the financial crisis, essentially. It was, yeah. You know, and um, immediately became a huge part of operations. The the balance sheet exploded because that's a that's a large fixed asset. Yeah. Um, and, but uh, and it was minting money with the surge in shale for three years up until twenty twelve, um, and then. Uh, Things started to go south in 2014, in particular, and nobody's shipping oil on it, and like it's it's making less money than it did three years ago. And there was only one culprit, and it was yeah, the oil sector's not going mm-hmm. so great. So, um, what does it cost for these pipelines? Like, what does a pipeline company charge you? Yeah. So a a general rule of thumb is that the pipelines um, tend to be about three or four dollars a barrel uh, is what you're going to pay. For and it doesn't. It will go up for longer distances, but not by that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, pipelines. There's a high fixed cost of putting the pipeline in the ground, but the cost of actually operating it, uh, the variable cost, is quite low. Right. Uh, and so that makes it the cheapest way of getting oil around on land. Um, shipping uh, overseas is actually cheaper. So. You can get a, a barrel of uh, oil from the Persian Gulf to the U.S. for something like two dollars a barrel in shipping costs. No way. So it costs yeah. you less to to go from from Iraq or something like that to the United States than it would cost just to get something from North Dakota uh, down a pipeline to Houston. 
Wow. And not only that, but you hear all these stories about um, people storing oil offshore mm -hmm. in these ships just because it's cheaper than storing it in Houston or in Cushing or something. So, yeah. Well, in, in part because there's been this rise in oil production in the U.S., you haven't had as much of this um, intercontinental shipping of oil. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, there's too many oil tankers out there. And so they're so cheap to rent that you can actually just use them as floating storage. I cannot believe it's that cheap. Like, I really can't. Two dollars. Uh, yeah. Wow. So, so then the the even more expensive option is rail. Rail is going to uh, set you back at least ten dollars a barrel if you want to go f um, something like North Dakota, the back end, to get to New York. And so this is why BNSF was making so much money. If you look back four or five years, uh, four or five years ago, they were doing a lot of these shipments out of the the back end formation in North Dakota and that region to Houston to New York. Uh, replacing a lot of that overseas crude, it was still a lot more expensive th the shipping because it would be about ten dollars a barrel compared to a, a dollar or two. Right. Um, which, but it worked out because the back end crude was selling at such a discount compared to world markets mm -hmm. um, due to that transportation issue, um, and so it's really good while it lasts. But the problem is that it's so expensive uh, comparatively to ship crude by rail. That it's always giving companies uh, an incentive to not ship crude by rail, to find right. other ways, uh, and specifically to find to build pipelines. And so, I don't know that it's ever going to come back, at least in that particular area, the way it to the way it was five years ago. Because even if the oil market picks up again, right, they've built pipelines up in that area now, and so more of that uh, crude oil is going to be going by pipeline rather than going by rail in the future. I think the next big if there is a next big uh, boom for crude by rail, it's going to be someplace we don't know about yet. To be that's honest. a really good insight because even um, even with oil where it is right now, um, I think it was about six months ago, maybe even a year ago, um, uh, Kinder Morgan got final approvals for a four billion with a B mm -hmm. pipeline expansion up in Canada for the tar sands. Yeah, and this is not the cheapest oil to make, and they were getting it to um, the coast, the western coast, just above uh, Seattle there, and it was like, wow, if they're doing that for or this oil. I mean, what what reason would rail have have to be used there? So crazy. Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, you get the last word, Adam. Anything else cool for uh, that you want to share for investors looking at the transportation sector? Uh, I think that we've uh, we've basically covered it. Uh, if you just sort of take it from a uh, from the view from thirty thousand feet, the the cheapest way to move stuff around is usually by ship. Um, if not, it's going to be by rail. After that, you have auto, and the, la the most expensive is by air. But what actually makes the most sense from an economic perspective? It really depends on other factors, such as how big your shipment is, um, which will impact the cost of the more pricey methods like air shipping, and how time-sensitive your, your shipment is. If you really need it to get there soon, then obviously air can be well worth the cost, um, and that's why companies like FedEx and UPS do as well as they do. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for your time, Adam. Thank you for having me. And that is it for us, folks. Be sure and tune in tomorrow for the Technology Show with Dylan Lewis. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Adam Levine Weinberg, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!